I was thinking of a story today. Uh, this guy, this homeless guy, uh, he uh, was captured by the police because he had killed one of these white uh, spotted owls. You know, they're on the endangered list and out on the West Coast. So, so the police uh, knew that there was somebody, you know, killing these white spotted owls, and they finally caught him. And so, you know, they put him in jail, and he didn't have any money to get out or anything like that. And so, so uh, he came his day in court, and so he said to the uh, the judge, you know, he comes before the judge, and the judge looks at him. He said, are you guilty of this charge? And he said, yes. He said, uh, I am guilty of this charge. He said, uh, the judge, judge says, well, can you give me a reason why you were killing these white spotted owls? He said, you know, they are an endangered species. And he said, yes, sir, I know that. And he said, but the reason is because a year ago, I lost my job. And he said, we lost everything. I lost my house. I lost my vehicles. He said, and we're out here living in one of these homeless shelters. And I, because there's no room down at the shelter, I'm having to live under a bridge. And he said, and then... You know, my family comes, and he said, I had to get some because they were hungry, and, you know, they didn't have anything to eat. And so he said, I just went and killed one of these white spotted owls so we'd have something to eat. And Judd says, well, he says, that's, that's, that's a little bit different situation. He said, i tell you what I'm going to do. He says, I'm going to give you a warning this time not to be killing any more of those white spotted owls again. You know, he said, because... They are an endangered species. And he said, but I'm going to let you off because of your situation. I'm going to let you go. And he goes, oh, Judge, thank you so much. So the judge rolled up, hit the gavel. And the guy was turned around walking out, and the judge looked and said, uh, by the way, he said, what does a white spotted owl taste like? And the man turned around, and he goes, well, it's somewhere between a bald eagle and a California condor. The judge said, oh, you got double jeopardy there. I can't get you on this one, you know. And then, so, you, so at least you got to know what your plans are, right? And one of the things we're talking about is coming together and working in a unified, harmonious way with what God wants to do. One of the struggles that happens in the Christian world, particularly in America, is the fact that we never die to our own vision that when God calls us to come under a vision or mission. We don't die to that. We still come in, and as long as it benefits my ministry, I will participate in it. And the result of that is we never capture the mission of the house. And one of the requirements of God that in order for us to be in the ministry is to be faithful. That's the main criteria. He tells Paul tells Timothy that God counted us, uh, placed us in the ministry because we were faithful. And so that is a criteria that he, that he gives. Now, what is he faithful to? Are you faithful to a church? They didn't have church then. Are you faithful to a concept? No, he didn't have that. You're faithful to the covenant of God and what God has told you to do. That is what God looks at when it comes to the concept of faithfulness. But how that is manifested is it comes in and we become faithful to each other. We become faithful to the mission that God sets in place. And so we basically have to die 
to our ministry in order for us to get prepared and qualified to be released to do God's ministry in this hour. One of the signs that we know that we're not ready for ministry is we haven't learned to work harmoniously. We're still clashing. We still have to have our way. We still have to, you know, we criticize and uh, we have our opinions. And how many of you know all that stuff comes into play, right? You know, and, and there is a place for that. But when we demand it, we still realize that we have not humbled ourselves under the mighty hand of God. And so, so this conflict continues on. And what, what it happens in, when we have that attitude, it cuts us off from fresh, present truth and fresh revelation that God wants to download it. Because he's not giving you a ministry for the present moment. He's giving you a ministry for future purposes. And this is part of the process of you getting to the fulfillment of that ministry. So we, we've got to come to a place, especially at a leadership level, that the way people learn how to find their place and how to operate in harmonious with us is they watch leadership. And we say it all, I hear this all the time from leaders, you know, well, you know, I'm just doing what God told me to do. Don't watch me. I'm sorry. They are watching you. And they are learning from you. One way or another, they are learning from you, either the good way or the bad way. You know, they are learning from you. Uh, I used to have our leadership set towards the front. And the reason is, as we worship, the people worship. You know, and they always kept saying, ah, oh, we need to be scattered out in the congregation. I said, no. The book of Revelation and all through the scripture, the elders were around the throne. The angels were in their place. You had a place, and when it would strike up, they would demonstrate to all of the all of the uh, uh, of heavenlies of how they were to come into the presence of God. That we're just not Bubba anymore, you know. That we have been called to a realm of responsibility, and so. And uh, this session is called "What Is Holding You Back," and uh, I want you to go to Second Kings, and uh, uh, we'll look at chapter four. It says, a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets, a preacher's wife, cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. Boy, he is a great preacher. He is broke. <laughs> Left his widow with nothing. That's family planning right there, buddy, I'm telling you. So Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? Now that's the line I want you to underline. What do you have in the house? Now look what he says. And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. That's all I got. Then he said, Go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons. Then pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. 
So she went from him, shut the door behind her and her sons, who brought the vessels to her, and she poured it out. Now it came to pass, when the vessels were full, that she said to her son, Bring me another vessel. And he said to her, There's not another vessel. So the oil ceased. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil, pay your debt, and you and your sons live on the rest. Now, man, wow. We need that happening right now. You know, we need oil wells. Maybe we need Elisha to come back. All we got here is a, you know, just an oil well, you know. But, but, the, the, but the principle is, is that we are looking at that a lot of times we always look for somebody outside of our realm thinking that they are going to benefit us a lot. And what we do is we are impressed with somebody's talent or somebody's gifting. And as a result, we stick them in leadership and they're the very ones that give us the greatest headache. Do not give people positions to make them faithful. Give faithful people positions. That's something that you need to remember, that if God says, I gotta, I'm qualifying them by faithfulness, why don't we do the same thing? God says, well, you know, I mean, after all, look at all the talent he's got. So I'll just bring him right here, out here to Cowboy Way. He can get up and sing and dance and whistle and yodel and all that good stuff. You know, but, but the reality is, is that what are you releasing to, into the spirit realm? And more so than that, what are you not confronting in the spirit realm when you bring in somebody like that? Bible clearly says, know those who labor amongst you. And I, I've seen it with churches. We get desperate. We needed somebody. We need this. We need that. And we make a decision and we, that decision comes up, and then we're praying, oh, God, how in the world can I get out of this? How many of you know there would be people that come to my church, and I'd probably be praying, oh, God, we need that couple. Oh, God, we need that couple. I mean, they are a good couple. That's a great family, God. And we really need them. And, man, it would be a short period of time. They'd show up at our place. And after about two or three months, I'm praying, oh, God, get that couple out of here. God, God, they don't, they don't belong here. <laughs> God, kill them, whatever you need to do, get them out of here. You know, they are driving me crazy, you know. You know, uh, we shall not kill, but murder, it doesn't say much about murder, all right? But anyway, but the reality is, is that God lets them stay there to teach me a lesson, number one, that he knows how to run his church. And he takes, if you go to 1 Corinthians, it says he takes the foolish things, the weak things, the, the base things, you know, those are the things that he qualifies for people in leadership. And so we have to understand that if we're going to move into a leadership, there are those that are sitting right in our midst that have the potential to be great leaders. And it's our responsibility to develop them into that place where they're leaders. So I ask you the question, what is in your house? See, if you only see them where they are and not what they can become, you'll never see them as a leader. You've got to discern what is the potential of the individual. Now, here's some questions. Do you know what a jawbone of a donkey is? <laughs> I, I always think of this. I better not say it. I've got a little child in the house. 
Okay, a crooked stick, a broken vessel, a fisherman with a bad temper, a harlot, and a persecutor have in common. They were all instruments used by God to accomplish his purpose. Man, now, that's, boy, I'm starting to feel good now. I feel like I'm getting into qualifications here, you know. Um, in this lesson, we're going to examine Satan's deceptions in our modern-day identity crisis. Do you know it was said about Churchill that he was a dull youth and he feared living in, King, uh, in, in England? He didn't want to live in England. It was said about Edison, his father considered him a dunce, stupid. It was said about Einstein, he, was, he did poor in high school, and they asked him if he would drop out. Einstein. Uh, Walt Disney, he has no touch for sketching, uh, and the, the, when the man saw him, gave him a dollar, and he said, son, keep on trying, because he had, said he had no talent. And now how many thousands of people go to all the Disneys around the world, you know, things like that. You see, if we listen to man's opinion of us, we will never move forward in what God wants to do. And what happens is, is that a lot of times we have already formulated what I call a bitter root judgment upon ourselves. And through that bitter root judgment, that bitter root judgment, we begin to hold ourselves back from instead of releasing ourselves to be all that God wants us to be and to do what all God wants us to do. Now, does that make sense to you? So what are those? Let's look at these, all right? Because I'm going to give you four basic ones. You can probably come up with others. But I'm going to give you four basic ones and why it is important that we examine these and we deal with these, okay? First of all, number one is what we call the performance trap. Uh, a performance trap says, I must meet certain standards to feel good about myself. Now, here's the thing. That in order to meet those standards, you have put a criteria, or better yet, somebody else has put a criteria on you, and instead of doing and being what God wants you to be, you're always trying to live up to somebody else's expectation. Now, I'm going to say I want you to be encouraged because none of us have that here, right? Because the basis of performance is rooted in pride. And so when we begin to think, well, so what is the consequences? The consequences is a fear of failure. Oh, man, you know, and so as a result... We, we will, many times, we won't start anything. We just won't start because I'm afraid that if I get into it, and what if it doesn't work? And we sit there and we start telling ourselves, uh, you know, I mean, it may not work, and, you know, I'm, I don't have the education. And, and we go through all these scenarios of why we won't do something else. And the, and the root of it is, is because we're trying to live up to a certain standard that somebody else put on us. Performance, okay? Now, what is God's answer? Uh, go with me, because the wording is justification. Now, look at it, and in, in let's go to, actually, let's go to Romans chapter 1 first. Romans chapter 1, and look at verse 17. It says, for I, uh, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Great theme, great basis here. So our justification is found in living 
from faith to faith. Uh, last week, I was talking about, I was in uh, um, Westlaco, uh, Texas, and I was speaking to the church, and I was talking to them about the concept of faith. And I made this statement to, you, to them that anything of value is not easy to come by. And I know that a lot of times we, we've heard the teaching about uh, a lot of faith teaching that goes on, and it's, like, it's just like this, as long as I have faith, I can do this. But the truth is that when faith comes to us, God is downloading us information about a future event that's getting ready to take place of where he is already residing. In other words, God goes to the end to begin. So God is down here at the end where he's wanting us to go. So what does he do? He sends the Holy Spirit back to where we are, and the Holy Spirit then says, go to where God is. See? And so what I'm trying to help you understand is the fact that when, when performance here is we're trying to make all this right before I take the step to go where God's waiting for me. And as a result, if I have to live up to a certain performance, I start shutting down the Holy Spirit, and as a result, I will walk in the flesh, but I will not hear the Holy Spirit taking me to where God is. And when, why? Because a performance person has to have everything perfect before they take the first step. In other words, if, if we are living up to somebody else's expectation and God has sent the Holy Spirit back, we begin to second guess. Now here's where faith goes out the window. When we start down this journey or we're getting ready to step into it, when we start considering other options, when we start considering other options, then all of a sudden it is us and reason that is taking over, and faith is no, we are no longer walking in faith. So it's important when he talks about this area here that justification is so. And then it says in Romans, well, you could write, uh, we won't take time to read it, but Romans chapter 3, once again, he's talking about this whole thing of justification. And in chapter 5, he says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the idea of justification is, number one, it means to be just. It means to be innocent. It means to be righteous or to treat as innocent. It means to be pardoned. And the only way that we can please God through that is his plan is not one of works or performance. It is one of faith. Faith pleases God. Now, we have made faith very etheric. We've made faith very um, mystical. We have made faith very difficult. And we keep saying, if I just had more faith. No, he said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, look at God's opinion. That's all you need is faith as a, as a mustard seed. And the more you begin to act upon that mustard seed, the more that thing begins to grow. And so now, you are, your faith now, your works is based on faith and not on performance. Because what you're doing 
is you're listening to the Holy Spirit, you take step A. So you don't have to worry about step B until you get step A taken care of. All right? So you take step A. So, well, I wonder what God wants us to do down there. No, you just be concerned about what you're doing here because this is where your faith is. Your faith is right here. Because it also carries with it the idea that you have, you are guilty until proven innocent. You were a sinner that was lost, right? So, so what happens in justification, you're acquitted of any punishment and the wrath to come. So the more you step with God, you're continuing to reinforce that innocence and then that you're reinforcing that level. And so now you have actually, by walking this thing out, you've actually defeated that performance mentality in your life. See, it's a trap. Because what you, th- you get around many Christians and they will always base their concepts and their closeness to God by what they're doing. And God does not totally judge us based on what we do. He judges us based on who we are. And so if I've got this performance, and a lot of people start out this way, if I've got this performance thing that I've got to do something, then God will be happy. da 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 God's happy today because I did something good for him. You know, I took out the trash. My wife didn't even ask me. God's happy. Of course, that was my job anyway. But anyway, you understand what I'm saying? It's not based on performance. Your performance is your, your performance or your works is based on your relationship with God who downloaded faith to you by giving you information to where he was going in your life where you, he wants you to go. All right, I've been walking with God. How did I get here? I walk by faith to where I am. I'm now comfortable. I'm enjoying my relationship with God. i got understandings. The last thing God shared with me, I'm walking it out. I'm doing it. You know, God's developing in me. And God says, that's good. I'm glad to know. We've had great fellowship. Now, I'm going down here. God goes down here. You're still down there. And you're going, God, where are you? So what do we have a tendency to do? That performance thing takes over again. So we start doing something again. Because we've been used to doing something, following God. We've been following the Spirit of God. So that performance thing starts taking over again. That I got to do something. So I got to go to church more. I got to go. I got to go rake out in the arena, or you know, I got to you know scoop manure or whatever. I got to do something to let God know that I still love you. No, God still loves you, and that will never change. But God's saying your faith is getting ready to go to another level. So I moved down here because I'm not going to give you information based on yesterday. I'm going to give you information based on tomorrow because that's where you're going. You're not going that way. Now, what happens to denominations? They get a hold of the truth. And they lock down right here. Remember we talked about man's doctrines last night? Is this right, Dan? They they lock down to a truth, and what happens is they now begin to produce performers. Preacher performers, singer performers, 
usher performers, Sunday school performers, they're all in this performance to keep that God right there. And what they don't realize is God moved, and what they're building is an idol. Now, let's look at seven benefits uh, and how we know we're overcoming this, this performance trap. Write it down, okay? I'll just give them to you right quick. Well, first of all, let me back up just a minute. We have been acquitted from punishment or performance, and we have been admitted into favor with God. What happens is, is that when we stay here, Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32, it is man's declaration of war on God. I'm not going to worship the Creator. I'm going to worship creation. Man will lie with man. They declared war on God. Right after Paul talks about the just shall live by faith, then he describes the war that man declared on God in the next uh, several verses. So what happens now, we are justified, in Romans chapter 5, we are justified by faith, and we have peace with God. One translation says this way, let's keep on having peace with God. So we keep on having peace with God in this area here. When, the P, when we get back into performance, usually the first thing that leaves is what? Peace of God. That's why Paul said to the Colossians, he said, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. The word rule there means to umpire, a referee. He's the one that's blowing the whistle. All right? So performance is part of that, okay? All right. Second thing is we have access to God. Access to God. When we are walking by faith, it says we can come boldly to the throne of God. But in a performance trap, we think God is way off, and God's not even listening to me anymore. It's all found in that same chapter 5 there, seven benefits. Peace with God, access to God. Uh, verse 2 says a glorious hope. A glorious hope. Not just any hope, but a glorious hope. What is hope? Hope is a constant expectancy of good that's coming my way or favor. That's what hope is. Verse 3 and 4, Christian character. Justification. We have Christian character. And God's always working on our character. How about this one? The love of God within. Verse 5 through 8. 9 through 10, we escape the wrath that is to come. Escape the wrath that is to come. In verse 11, is reconciliation or to be reconciled. All right? Okay, these are seven benefits that are there continually. All right. So, so the performance trap. We need to be free to the performance trap, right? Our, faith, our works is based on faith. One more time, okay? Peace with God. Peace with God. Notice Paul, he's, he's refudiating the war that has been declared in chapter 1. And he says, now we have peace with God because we're justified by God, okay? We have peace with God. Access to God, verse 2. Glorious hope, verse 2. Christian character, verse 3 and 4. The love of God within, verse 5 through 8. 
escaping the wrath to come, verse 9 and 10, and reconciled, verse 11. 